Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism, but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Heather Sutcliffe. She's a working mom of two sons who both have an autism diagnosis. For more than 12 years, she has advocated fearlessly to ensure her sons receive robust and consistent programming to make progress and achieve. And as a strong believer in coming at this diagnosis from all angles, she never takes a foot off the gas and continually looks at ways to fine-tune her son's interventions. Heather is passionate about giving her sons the best possible chance to overcome the challenges they face while inspiring and empowering other families to do the same. Thanks so much for joining us today, Heather. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I know that we've had quite a bit of conversations surrounding the importance and power of ABA therapy. And for anyone that's listening that may not know what ABA stands for, it's applied behavioral analysis. I think once you receive the autism diagnosis for your child or children, you know, you're automatically thrown into a world of acronyms. So Heather, why don't you explain to everyone just how big of a role ABA therapy has played in your family's lives? Sure. Uh, So ABA has been absolutely vital to help our sons make progress after their autism diagnosis. And, you know, as it pertains to autism, simply put, ABA therapy helps our sons exhibit more expected behavior and less unexpected behavior. And, you know, 12 years into this with my older son, it's still teaching me how to manage situations and really help our sons make achievements. The, you know, it it is completely individualized for the child and situation, transcending all levels of ability, and is really just the cornerstone of the intervention that you want for your child. One thing that I get really excited about is that it really is a data-driven situation, so you can actually see, okay, this is the progress, and then continue to build on that. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the really sign of a good provider that they're sharing that data with you regularly and that they're building upon that. And it really meets the child halfway. It capitalizes on their strengths, on their interests. And, you know, usually should use, I'll throw out two more acronyms, the BBMAP for children under the age of 48 months, as well as the ABLES for children over 48 months. Those two assessments are really utilized by ABA providers to see where children are and then build from there. And so it truly, to your point, is data-driven, and they will not progress ahead until they see that a skill is met, and then once it is, they'll build on it. So parents should know that this is rooted in that science and that they will see progress and then be able to build on it. I think initially when we first started the ABA therapy process, when Alex was about two and a half years old going on three, you know, the whole data-driven part of it kind of worried me a little bit because I didn't want him to become robotic, that he was just a scale, just a number. And it really turned into be what it really wasn't so much about the data, but it was, you know, it was really just a 
great way for his therapist, his BCBA, the techs, and and us to keep those communication points going. It was great for communication. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree. It's not about you know, making the them robotic at all. It's not, I'm not talking, when I think about ABA and how vital it's been. It's not the discrete trial piece of having them sit there and do one task over and over. And, you know, that has its place sort of foundationally, but this science transcends any situation and anything that you're trying to do. And that scaffolding that you bring to those situations really fosters the success. And so it can be, the principles of ABA can be utilized in any setting. It can be utilized to sit for longer periods of time. It can be utilized to break down academic concepts once you're sitting for long enough and teach them in a way that the child will understand and you know build on. So there are just so many ways that we've utilized it. I've dragged these ABA therapists to uh, dentist and doctor's appointments. It's mm-hmm. increased my son's ability to tolerate those types of appointments. It's mm-hmm. enabled them to actually get blood drawn. It's you know I have dragged them to sporting events and community outings and school events and the list just you know really goes on and on and it's also what you can extract from that and utilize in your day-to-day life at home for the time that your sons are not that my sons are not in therapy you know it's, it's up to me it's up to me to scaffold those situations up to me to you know run them and keep them successful and you know quite simply my younger son right now every you know sort of request from him I require him to use his language if he can't say what he needs to I, I give him that language I require him to give me eye contact, and that's all before he gets whatever he's asking for. Mm. So that one simple example of the principles of ABA and how I bring that into our daily life, it, it takes a little bit longer, but it, it ends up translating into him then doing that on his own. Mm, it is so true. I know that I've even used ABA therapy. You know, Alex has tendency to be very defensive around certain textures and there's a lot of texture when eating so we have done plenty of ABA therapy trials at the kitchen table just trying new foods I think a lot of people don't realize this is for neurotypical children as well we apply ABA therapy techniques a lot in our lives not really realizing it I totally agree I totally agree and it's not it isn't meant to, you know, I've, I've had some family members who have chimed in to say, well, if, if it's hard for him, why are you making him do it? And that sort of is the exact mm-hmm. reason why I am and why mm-hmm. those situations get scaffolded and, and why, to, to your example of defeating, it's, it's so important to continue to expose them to these new things and to desensitize them from things that are aversive. And it's not about changing who they are as people. That's, mm. you know, absolutely not what we're trying to do. But what we are trying to do is ensure that they can be successful and comfortable with whatever the world presents them with. And, you know, as we all know from living in this world, they're going to be presented with a tremendous amount of 
stimuli <laughs> and, and you want them to be successful and you want them to, if they're at a friend's house for dinner and there is something that they've never had before, you want them to be able to get through that situation. Mm. They may not love it, but you want them to be successful at it. And so all of these small, small steps as building blocks add up to that cumulative impact that you're going for, which is really that independence and that ability to be successful across all situations. Absolutely. It's, as you mentioned before, it's about achievement, making the child reach its full potential. And why not give them the tools to be able to do that? Especially when you receive that diagnosis, there's a sense of urgency to go ahead and get things into place. And ABA therapy may not be for everyone, but I know that it has worked tremendously from for us. And I look back at little videos from Alex even just six months ago in his progress. And I'm overwhelmed with emotion because I realized he has worked so hard. Now, he doesn't, what I would consider, think it's it's work, you know, he has actually fun in doing some of these things, but it is, um, there's a lot of hard work, but you get out what you put in, right? And so, wonderful. yeah. Yes, that example is wonderful. I mean, that that is save, save all the videos, all the, even pictures where you can look back and see, oh, and, and you re- as, as parents, moms particularly, I think we remember every moment. Mm. And when you look back and see, oh, well, you know, that's, that's the birthday. I could not get him to even touch the cake. And mm-hmm. now, now look at him. And it's amazing that you're seeing that even after six months, because 12 years into this, like I, I, you are going to keep experiencing that because mm-hmm. you're, it, it, it's the mark of your interventions being the right ones and making a difference. Oh, yeah. We know our kids inside and out. Like we have been with them since the moment they popped out. And we have to be the advocate and the expert. It's amazing how much that I've learned that I had no idea was even out there. All of the information is just completely overwhelming. But you have to constantly be it's like a mother, a researcher, an insurance expert. The, all of these different things play a very critical role in the progress of the, of the child. I don't know if you can kind of talk to the research process. I know that you are an information seeker, and I love that so much about you, and that you've really kind of looked at all of the different angles because you have fine-tuned your child's therapies. Can you explain a little bit about what that process has been like? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll start with one example related to ABA, and then I can expand beyond that. When my, my two sons are six years apart, and so the first ABA provider that we were assigned to when my older son was two was excellent. And they really taught me the ropes in terms of how ABA could help him. Fast forward six years, and that same provider, when they were assigned to my younger son, had experienced a tremendous amount of turnover, and the folks that were assigned to my younger son were just not the same quality. And Mm -hmm. I knew enough after six years, I knew enough to stop that and to seek something different 
And I think that's one of the pieces that I worry about for some of the families coming into this. I was very lucky at the outset to have been taught what quality ABA was and what quality supervision of the clinicians was. Mm -hmm. Because I was able to then recognize that when my younger son um, had the same provider assigned and things had completely shifted. And within a few weeks, I basically severed ties with that agency and then uh, got him set up with a new situation. And it made all the difference. And it, it isn't... I think that's a lot of what that research and seeking of information gives you. It gives you the power to know enough to make a decision like that, which can be just critical to getting, you know, what your children need. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, even though there could be a really great ABA therapy provider, sometimes it's just really important. It comes down to the personality, how the child connects with the people that may or may not be right. The rapport is so critical. And, you know, what you should look for with a new provider is that they're taking that initial time to pair with the child mm -hmm. and meeting them halfway again with their interests. And, uh, and then that rapport, you'll know. You'll know. That's a gut feeling that, you know, you will know somebody that connects with your child and can get them to do things and can get them to do it in a lot of cases even more than you as a parent can. You know, I think us parents are, we're responsible for so many things, toothbrushing, eating, getting dressed, going to sleep. And it's like at some point you kind of wear out your welcome. And so... <laughs> I always was thrilled to have the therapist be able to do something new that I couldn't. And so I think when you don't see that rapport, it's obvious. And again, speak up. Don't settle and don't say that, you know, don't let it be the right provider will work with you to assign the right clinicians. And if it's an issue of the clinician being, in, in my younger son's instance, one of the clinicians had no experience, was right out of school, and she was not getting any supervision. Mm -hmm. And it was obvious that she wasn't, you know, getting the guidance she needed to be successful. And so that obviously impacted my son. And so I think that's one of the biggest messages I want to get across is to truly not settle. And by the parent playing that consistently engaged and active role and observing sessions and asking questions mm -hmm. and making phone calls, that's all going mm -hmm. to help you know the parent be empowered to make those decisions. Um, because, again, at the end of the day, we're the ones that will be there at the end of all of this when our children are 20, 22, 25. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that are going to be there. And so we have the most stake in the game. You're, you couldn't be any more right, in my opinion. I think we are really in the game or in the business of logistics. And I think that's for any kind of parent working at home or, you know, working in the field. And we're really, when it comes down to it, we're the hub and the glue of all kind of communication. So in any given day, we could be speaking with doctors, specialists, schools, insurance companies, therapists, the list goes on and on and on. And that's just in one day and trying to logistically connect the dots for everyone and then keeping in mind of the objective. And that is kind of going back to your point for your child to live safely and independently in the world. Can you talk about what that process is, like the hub and the all of the communication, like the importance of a network? Absolutely. It's so critical. It's so critical to have those 
specialists to call upon. There will be valleys to this. There are going to be good days and bad days. And as your child progresses, it's not all perfect. And so there's definitely a need to have a hub. And in terms of providers and specialists, I think one of the things that we did initially is just look at this from all angles. We started really with a developmental pediatrician and then sort of branched out from there. And, you know, it it includes behavioral optometrists, it includes nutrition, it includes GI doctors, it includes, you know, all of those areas of specialty in order for a person to function across the board and to have all of those senses integrated, you know, your sight, your hearing, all of that. And then the other senses that we really don't learn about in school, there's actually seven versus five, the vestibular system and the proprioceptive system. And those were really like a foreign language to me. I I really needed the occupational therapist to teach me what that all meant. You know, having my schooling experience be in marketing and communications, I, I, the communication aspect and the speech aspect came really naturally to me, but the occupational therapy and, and the sensory integration aspect of it all was like a foreign language. So, you know, I just rattled off at least seven different disciplines, and the one common denominator is your child and is you knowing your child. And so I, on a regular basis, take all of that information and summarize that for each of the providers. And so, you know, if we have a neurology appointment, which we go every six months, I will summarize that appointment after it happens and send that along to all of the therapists working with my kids. And it's that constant communication. And I don't really need to bring any notes with me on my kids. It's all in my head. I've lived it. It's, it's really, you know, I just have access to all of that. And I can remember from, you know, day one, December 5th of 2006, when my older son was diagnosed, I can remember the details. It just mm. has come naturally to me. And so I can just speak to all of that and, and bring any provider up to speed. But the point is really for everybody working with your child to have a breadth of information about them because there may be something that the neurologist has seen on an MRI that impacts you know, how an occupational therapist would treat. There may be something that they see that makes them adjust what they're doing. And mm-hmm. so it's those types of things. And, and you know, we as parents are going to be the only ones that are that hub of information. Mm-hmm. And my advice would be if you can't remember it all, then write it down and bring it with you. Keep a, a special notebook dedicated to that and bring it with you or keep it on your phone, whatever. We're so lucky we have iPhones. I would not survive this life without it. Um, But that is the role of parents. And and you can't take your foot off the gas. And you have to be a control freak. And don't let anybody tell you, (laughs) oh, let us let us worry about it. We're the experts. That's true. But many of the experts, as wonderful as they are and as impactful as they are, if they're not living the same life and if they're not living with your child, 
they're not going to know as much as you do. And so it's really about being empowered, knowing and being confident that you have all that information and then using it and keep it fanning the fire, keeping it going. It doesn't, um, you know, every, you really, to your point earlier, you get out what you put in and that's true for the big appointments that where you see someone every six months and it's Mm -hmm. true for the week, for the weekly appointments where you are trying to, you know, connect the dots to this, this happened today and this is why this session may be a little harder. So how are we going to work through that? It, it just, it, it never ends and it is worth every, every minute. Absolutely. And I think all too often times I know for, for us, it's been, there are times where I felt like Alex was becoming a piece of paper. So the doctors would look at this piece of paper and this piece of paper and then try to connect the dots. And there were times where it's like, you know what, you need to meet Alex. And because there's so many different nuances that a piece of paper won't be able to tell them. If they see the child, if they can interact with the child, there are things that can come up or come out of the that conversation that the doctor would be like, oh, you know what? Now I would actually recommend this because this is what I'm seeing in the child, not just the piece of paper. Completely, completely true. Well said. And, you know, I think that's the other piece of this is to to truly know that if your child can do something Sometimes it's about the consistency of it. And so to be encouraged when you see those moments of your child doing something, to be encouraged that a lot of this is just about getting them to be able to do it consistently. And, you know, to your point, without seeing the child, you may not know that. And it is so complex. And at any given time, it's hard to tease apart the hierarchy of what's happening. Is it a behavior thing? Is it a sensory thing? Is it something that happened two days ago that that your child's worrying about? You know, I've had examples mm-hmm. like uh, for, in all of those cases, and it's really the right providers are going to see them in person and, and will work to tease that apart. And uh, you're absolutely right. Doing it in person, there's there's no better way to, to do that. And, and they are not pieces of paper. They they are individuals, and they have they should be treated as such. It's not it's not a piece of paper, and it's not it's not bucketing them either with the rest of the uh, children that have this diagnosis. I have one provider that she'll do a readout of uh, our neuropsych evals. She'll always say, say, "Well, our guy is this, and our guy is that," and I always correct her and I say, <laughs> "I'm here to talk about my son. I'm not here to talk about." you know, some general statement that you think this population is about. I'm here to talk about them. And I think, again, that's the role as parents is to always be reminding, even if it's the providers, that this is, we're here to talk about these children as individuals. Absolutely right. Well, Heather, what are some of the things that keep you going? You know, you're you're all about logistics and, you know, you're working mom and so you're a wife and a mother and all of this, like what keeps you going? There, there's power in the bubble. I'll uh, mention the bubble and, you know, kind of keeping things contained within your world as you know it and not comparing your kids to anyone other than the former version of themselves. So I, I get a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. And then there's a handful of things along the way that, you know, really I, I've 
just latched on to, you know, one is keeping a picture of my son making beautiful eye contact in the picture that I can just sit, you know, at my desk at work and kind of stare at him and stare and make eye contact with him for as long as I want um, because it's a still picture. And so, you know, that has kept me going for a long time, you know, and, and obviously sitting at your desk at work is, uh, there's value in having in having something to take your mind off of things and in compartmentalizing uh, in that way. But that kept me going at my desk for a while. I think the other piece I love is to just you know bring your kids to either friends or family members or even providers maybe that you haven't seen for a while. And when they see after to your point of a six month window can mean so much. When they see that cumulative impact of everything mm-hmm. you've been working on day in day out, it may not be obvious to you every day you see your child every day but when you have those huge chunks of time and then you come back in um, you know I'm really excited because our neuropsych eval is coming up and it's been two years and so after two years you know I'm I'm just always thrilled to you know kind of hear the the feedback and and you know see that and and have them remark uh, of how how um, much progress has happened those things keep me going and you know, I also then had a chance to put a photo book together for my younger son. We presented actually to his school. His, he's in a class of typically developing peers. And we did a photo book to educate the peers about my son. And when I went through and, and looked over a period of about a year, all the things that we had had him try, and it may have just been for a fleeting minute where that mm-hmm. he did something, but still it was exposure and it was desensitizing him to things. And I was just so impressed. And, and I think in our day-to-day lives, we don't take that step back to to look at how much we've done. We just, to, mm-hmm. to, as you said, to keep it going and keep the logistics all organized and, and just keep it going. And so it's nice to step back and have those moments and you, know, you you truly see the value of what we're putting in day in, day out. That's so true. And we're constantly giving our children praise for all of smallest milestone can be just a huge, huge step in their progress. And it was so powerful for me one time. Our ABA, our BCBA said, you know, Susan, you're doing a great job keep up the great work. And that meant the world to me. I'm like, oh yeah, I am doing it. These 50 plates that I'm spinning mean something. Like someone's saying that I'm trying really hard too. And so I think we all need to give pats on our backs and, you know, just for keeping things going. Yes, absolutely. That just one comment like that can keep you going and, and, and can get you through, you know, those hard moments. And, uh, it it is, we all wonder, are we doing enough? Are we, you know, have we, have we touched upon everything we can or, or at this point, sometimes I'm wondering, can I keep this going? Um, how I'm not, I, I don't get a break. It's, you know, it's 52 weeks a year, you don't get a break. And, but those moments and that, and that praise for us as parents keeps you going and ask, sometimes they say to the, the, to our providers, what else can I be doing? And when they say something like that, then I know, okay, I'm doing everything. Um, and so yeah. that for sure just keeps us going and, and we need that reminder too. Yeah. Well, Heather, 
you are an amazing person and I just loved talking with you and hearing about your story and I know that we're going to stay connected. We're all in this thing together. I just wish you and your family the best of luck. I really do. Likewise, and I'm so happy to be part of your tribe. I look forward to to just seeing all the progress that your son makes over the next several years. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you.